Today, we had a math mentoring moment with a participant from our online workshop where we discussed challenges at the start of class for the last period of the day where kids are rangy, what are we to do? And she's also been working on sparking curiosity consistently to get kids engaged and keep them on task. And then finally, a big can of worms was opened when the conversation moved into assessment, evaluation, and the role of descriptive feedback. None of it was planned, but all of that came out of the rich discussion with Sarah Jane Wells from Toronto in episode seven of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of educators worldwide, want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to episode number seven, Routines, Curiosity, and Assessment. A math mentoring moment with Sarah Jane Wells. I am so ready. Let's go, Kyle. Let's dive in. Well, Sarah Jane, uh, thank you for uh, joining us here today. And uh, we we definitely want to hear about you and you, and your experiences in the classroom. Can you uh, can you tell us just uh, a little bit about yourself? How long you've been teaching? Where you teach? Uh, a little bit of your story. Yeah, it's kind of a, a long and a windy one, but I'll make it relatively quick. So I started teaching right out of undergrad. Uh, I gra- I'm actually American, and so I graduated from University of Pennsylvania in 2003 with a degree in biology and an undergrad degree in anthropology. And then I joined a program called Teach for America in the States. Um, and I taught in inner city Baltimore at Chinquapin Middle School, teaching grade six science for two years. And then moved up here to be in Canada with my partner um, and couldn't work right away and did a bunch of volunteering sort of to see if I wanted to continue to work with, I know I wanted to make some sort of social change, but I wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to do it in education. Um, Because while it was a two-year concurrent program of which you have no teaching experience except for like a summer school thing and then uh, here you've got five classes of 35 kids in one of the neediest districts in the country. And you're doing your master's at the same time. So good luck to you. So it was really yeah, intense. Um, wow, that's brave. I, yeah, well, it also like made me question a lot of my um, my biases and my, my own personal privilege set because it, occurred, like, it was really tough. And But there was also that at any point I could walk away where the kids I was working with were stuck in that situation mm. for better or for worse. And so it really made me realize for the first time how much power I had. And, and so that was really interesting and eye-opening, but I wasn't entirely sure after that that I wanted to continue on that, um, on the education front. So I volunteered in a doctor's office and I didn't really like that. And I worked in a, I volunteered in a high school. And while it was interesting, I realized that I really loved working with, I was very interested in the kids and less so like the biology content. Um, and so then I volunteered at Nelson Mandela Park Public School, which is in Regent Park, which is uh, an inner city area in Toronto. Um, and I was volunteering at Pathways to Education in Regent Park and eventually got into a classroom and was doing like reading groups on a volunteer basis and 
then got hired there eventually as an LTO doing the greeting groups for grades six, seven, eight, and then got a four, five LTO and a grade one, two LTO. And finally eventually got hired and I started having a whole bunch of kids. And right now I teach six, seven language and math and two grade seven math classes at Ledbury Park Elementary Middle School, which is nice. an interesting place. Nice. You know, something that uh, really resonated with me was, uh, was your realization of the, the privilege that, uh, you know, that you had and, and, you know, the, I wrote down, you know, you saying this idea that like you could leave at any time, but the students couldn't leave that situation. And I think, you know, that's, uh, that for me is one of the big, I think, aha moments in my career as well as when, you know, for a long time, I thought it was, you know, students didn't want to try hard enough or whatever. And I think it might look different in the, in the high school classroom. I know uh, John would probably agree by the time they get to high school, um, they typically put like this mask on, of, you know, I'm disengaged because I'm too cool. Um, yeah. But under that mask, and maybe if we went back a few years, maybe down to, you know, where you're teaching grade six or grade seven, um, maybe we would, you know, we would see more of what you're seeing, which is just this situation that uh, that a student might be in. And, uh, and, you know, they, they may, may become embarrassed of it over time or whatever it might be. And then in high school, we, we don't necessarily see it as, as clearly it's not as transparent. So, um, you know, hats off to you for, uh, you know, in the early stages of volunteering for persevering and, and pushing through and, you know, seeing that teaching kids is what it's all about. It's less about the content that we went to school for because we were passionate about it and more about uh, the students that are in front of us. In my um, very, the first two years of teaching, there was one teacher, Mr. Taylor, who was also a first year teacher. And um, he went into our little like new teachers seminar and started like, I really thought my passion for math would be all I needed for behavior management. And they just don't want it the way I do. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and you're all, just banging your head against the wall. Right. Years, like, right. right. The passion for math was not enough to teach the 35. That, that, that's hilarious. Cause that's exactly what I thought. If I'm overly ecstatic about what I teach, then the kids will be too. And it wasn't exact. Like for some kids it was, Yeah. but not, not <laughs> the kids that I was teaching. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's really difficult too. I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you'd, you'd feel the same when, you know, you put all this effort into a lesson that, you know, th to you seems logical, right? Like it's very difficult for us to undo what we already know. Like things in our brains are just automatic. You know, we've, we've known them for so long that it doesn't seem like it would be challenging for someone who's, who's younger and may not have the same experiences as us. But, you know, you, you put all this effort in. It's almost like it's very difficult, especially early on in, in my career. I found it difficult to detach the fact that a, a student wasn't engaged in my lesson and to not take it personally, right? Yeah. That it wasn't like a personal shot that, you know what, the, the student really doesn't care about me. It's not that, you know, it's not that me they're trying to disrespect. It's the fact that, you know, they've got a lot of other things going on that they're likely thinking about. And, and it's, it's probably not uh, about math class or, you know, what I'm trying to get across as a learning goal for that day. Yes, we have a, our school is really um, diverse in grades seven and eight and very much less so in grades K to six. So we have a very interesting um, struggle with a lot of different people coming in at different places. So there's very big difference in socioeconomic background. There's a pocket of newcomers to Canada. There's um, students who have to travel further to get to school who also happen to be the students who have lower socioeconomic 
advantages and um, are often the students of color. And having all of those experiences existing in the same classroom in which they don't really necessarily understand where the other people are coming from and then sort of trying to get them to work together in a way that is somewhat authentic uh, takes a whole lot of time. And so creating a classroom culture in which there is a degree of safety to take to take risks and to be wrong and to make mistakes um, and to try out something new takes takes a while to foster. And I have to remind myself when I'm like stopping class to, to do some of that community building that eventually it's not wasted time that that is going to help lead them into, um, into a place where they can be safe and they can grow intellectually instead of being a, being afraid and inhibited to, to try something and to reach outside their comfort zone. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's uh uh, we, you know, and it's only been the last few years where I think we've, we've definitely realized that too, like the, there's so much more that needs to happen. If you want your lessons to go well in your math class, like there's so much, but you know, other things that need to be in place, uh, before that, that great learning can happen. Yeah. Well, you know, we're wondering, uh, and, and, you know, you've done a great job of helping us sort of, you know, get into your, you know, teaching mind and, and to see some of the experiences you've had. I'm wondering, is there a, a memorable math moment that sticks out to you? And it, it could be maybe personally, like for you as a student, or maybe it's for you <laughs> as a teacher, but a memorable math moment since, uh, you know, you know that uh, we are all about making math moments that matter. So is there anything that comes to mind you wouldn't mind sharing? A lot of my memorable moments overall in math and other tend to be relatively like negative in that. And that is that's, what I hold on to. That's no that's problem. We, yeah. we, we, uh, you, you know that uh, yeah. you probably heard ours and, and yeah. both of ours were somewhat negative. So yes. uh, uh, we'd love to hear yours. So in grade... Um, in grade nine, I had a, professor, a teacher, professor, who had like sort of big bushy hair and glasses, and it was pretty early in our experience. We were sitting in rows, and he was giving a lecture about something, and he said something that sort of sparked my curiosity, and so I was starting to, to work something out in my notebook. And then all of a sudden something like whizzed by my head and I like looked up and he's standing in the front and had just thrown a marker at me. He's like, that'll teach you to not pay attention in class. I I was, I was like trying to run, but I just as the type of student who wasn't going to speak out. It's like, okay, so I guess I don't do that again. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because now at least you can laugh it off, but I mean, how many others, you know, had a, had a marker or some chalk brush or whatever it was chucked at them that you know maybe maybe that was enough to sort of derail you from from wanting to go down that path at all um when we ask that memorable math question um it we get so many varied responses but many tend to be sort of the one that sticks out for us personally like for the for the person we're speaking with um oftentimes it's like these negative emotions and and you know that's uh that's definitely something i i think for us to always think about when we're in the classroom and yeah. you know i i don't see teachers chucking things at kids as much anymore which is good <laughs> uh, but sometimes it it could be the way we say things to our students yeah. that that can do just you know the same amount of damage and uh, and and oftentimes it's it's not even intentional right so it's just something for us uh to be aware of. So thank you so much for, uh, for opening up and, and sharing that moment with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, and one of my childhood experiences that sort of sticks with me with math is that my mom is the computer programmer, retired now, 
but she had, um, and my dad was a nurse. And so growing up, there was a lot of sort of gender norms that were sort of placed, like they were reversed in our family. But when I would talk about my parents' careers, they'd be like, oh, you mean your dad's a doctor? And so, well, no, my dad is a nurse. Or they'd be like, your mom's a teacher, right? It's like, no, she's a computer programmer analyst. So she's not a teacher. And she would be the one that would sit with me and help me with my math homework. And she, she came from a family of engineers. So her dad was a civil engineer and her two younger brothers also went into engineering. And she would frequently say that if she had not been a girl, that she would have been, been more likely to push, go into engineering. But because she was very much a quiet pleaser type, she didn't pursue that. And it wasn't expected of her to pursue it. It was expected of her brothers to go into a, an engineering field. Um, and that she went to a communication field, which she was terrible at and didn't like. And so like that also stuck with me in terms of that there wasn't this expectation that I was supposed to be good at something because of my gender and that it's okay to, to step outside of the expectations that society puts on you intellectually because of that. And so even though like I had the, the marker chucking at your head experience at home, that was very, like, she was very supportive of like, let's figure this out and let's work this out and you can do it. And even if you don't want to, like, you were able to do this, even if you're not going to do this now, it's still a possibility later because she went back to or to college when I was little in preschool and then got her degree and like started a second career. So um, I think that was also like influenced my interest in sort of exploring anything I wanted to do academically and not feeling like I couldn't go into physics and chemistry and take those higher level courses just for, I could do them because I could do them if I was interested in them. And so I appreciated that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something for me, I I think is, is I, I try to be as clear as possible when I'm working with teachers in that, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, you, you must want every student to go into university and take math or physics or science. And, and really, no, it's not about that at all. For me, it's about having every student know that they can do whatever they want if they put their mind to it. And if they want to actually do it, I'm totally fine with a student leaving, you know, leaving high school and saying, you know, math, I don't, I don't like love it. So I'm going to go do this other thing, but I can do it. You know, like you never hear kids say, you know, uh, history, I'm just not a history person. Like I I can't do history, you know, but you do hear kids say that, you know, like history, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's not, you know, I I don't find it super, super interesting, but like, you know, so they're not saying I can't, they just say like, it's not what I want to do. And and I'm totally fine with that for students. I just want to get it away from this idea that like, I'm not a math person. I can't do uh, math. My mom or dad wasn't good at math or, you know, like, like you're saying the gender issue too with, you know, well, you know, typically uh, girls aren't good or boys aren't good or, you know, whatever that, that stigma is. I'm just kind of getting beyond that and, and getting kids to really just have this clear path of options that they'd be able to choose based on, you know, what, what kind of fuels their fire, right? Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision-makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? 
Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Do you find a question about high school? Because I've only ever worked with high school students in um, a tutoring set setting. But I know like having taught grade six and then also having taught grade seven, I noticed that there's... Um, the girls get much more quiet as a whole between grade six and grade seven. So then grade six conversations aren't necessarily dominated by one gender or another. And then in grade seven, the same girls who used to be very vocal will still do their work, but are a little bit more dampened in terms of how much they want to participate and say things out loud. And I sort of attribute that to a, like, a lot of factors at our personal school, including a whole bunch of other people coming in at that point and some like social awareness kicking in of being like, I'm not sure I want to talk in front of all these new people and other adolescents and things like that. And I was wondering if you notice patterns or trends that have to do with that going into the high school level as well. Uh, you know, I, I can say that for sure it, that in my classes and especially in the applied level classes that that happens that the boys will do uh, way more of the out loud, outspoken mm. uh, questioning or participation, whereas the girls will. Uh, and this is not always the case. This is just like you said, like maybe a, a, a trend that that we're noticing uh, is that yeah, they're very. Most of them are very quiet. Um, will do all their work, you know, like or not, you know, they'll do a, a lot of good work, a lot of quiet work, but not very uh, outspoken work. Um, and, you know, one, and one thing that I think has helped in my classroom is push, you know, asking them to, to stand up and go to the walls and work mm -hmm. together with other people and it, and it gets them to talk in a smaller group. And I think, um, before the bigger group, and I think that's helped a lot is this kind of think pair share, you know, we, we hear that term think pair share, but it, it works great when you ask kids to voice ideas to each other to have it validated. Mm -hmm and then move to the big group. Uh, it gives permission that, hey, I, I was unsure about this for whatever reason or whatever issues I, I bring to the classroom. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that person that wants to, to shout it out initially, but as soon as they share it with their partner, it, uh, it, can, it gives them that validation that, yeah, that was okay. I can share that now with the big group. So I, I've had a lot more experience or a lot more engagement when I do that kind of activity, okay. uh, especially with the girls versus just asking a question straight to the class the first time. You know, a, a lot of the boys will, um, who are outspoken, you know, there's lots of quiet boys too, but uh, you definitely notice that in high school for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and Sarah Jane, you had me thinking here as John's talking, I, I'm picturing or I'm wondering if, you know, it has something to do with more of that, you know, reaching, you know, that, that, puberty and adolescence and that sort of alpha male kind of thing going on where, you know, the, the boys are sort of trying to like play with this dominance thing and whether, you know, whether now there's more of a separation between some of those behaviors. Um, when you see the, the male sort of, you know, John even mentioned this like more outspoken 
um, you know, uh, throwing out, you know, kind of like random thoughts and, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a little more aggressive than, than, uh, than the female students tend to be. So I'm wondering, you know, the, the implications, especially if it's, if I'm in my high school classroom and the norms in my room aren't clear and aren't, you know, um, taken care of where, where there's certain things that are okay and certain things that are not in order for this math community to grow, um, whether that's going to sort of take a group of students, in this case, the, the gender groups, and, you know, have one sort of having more of a say or maybe more of a dominance than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something to definitely think about. And for, for those um, who, who might be listening to this, to kind of think about in their minds whether, you know, that sort of dominance thing is going on, because sometimes it can happen without you even realizing it. You might just think yeah. it's the dynamic of the class. But how much of that dynamic is actually influenced by, you know, the things we are setting as a structure in our class and as a routine versus the actual mixture of the students. So, um, you know, I've made a note of it here myself to uh, to definitely sort of keep that in mind um, when I'm in the classroom for sure. You know, we've been talking, you know, we've been talking about some struggles and these, you know, these are pretty big struggles uh, that we all have in our classroom. And uh, uh, you know, the socioeconomic struggles and uh, gender gender struggles in our classroom. I'm wondering if you could share with us like a classroom kind of lesson struggle or another struggle that you have had or challenge um, you've experienced along your journey recently or, or, or doesn't have to be recently, but uh, something uh, that's in your lessons that uh, is challenging you. Can you maybe describe uh, something like that in your classroom? Sure. Um, this is not, I guess this is more, it has to do with classroom dynamic and how my vision of what a lesson could look like doesn't necessarily sure. like turn into it. Um, and that there is, so I teach this in essence, the same lesson with some modifications for the grade six, seven, but three times. So once in my homeroom class in the morning, and then again, twice to two different classes in the afternoon. And the class that I have lost consistently last period always uh, goes very differently. And so we had a brain break at the beginning of the class and it kind of made some things relatively obvious in which we were playing a, a silly video called Boots and Cats to do a dance before we sort of settled down and started our work because they'd been doing a lot of quiet work in English beforehand. And so we started playing the song and um, there were about six or seven students that just went completely bananas and everybody else in the class like sat very still. And so the, the personality dynamic that was present between having these like seven individuals that were just really, really full of energy and just bouncing around and bouncing around and the other members of the class that were just like completely still. And, um, and a lot of the time in this class, what happens when we're doing, um, when we start with a notice and wonder or they have another, a minds on activity is that the students who tend to be very still, just go ahead and do it. And the students who really uh, are very energetic and, and moving around struggle to get started on any, any point on anything. And I hadn't really realized that there was that such a physical dynamic between the kinesthetic, the students who were kinesthetic and the students who were much more um, visual or auditory until we did that one activity. And there are some sort of extreme versions of that in the class in which even once we sparking or attempting to spark curiosity, depending on how well it works, um, and there's the, mo- the majority of the body of students is, is able to get started. And then I have a couple that just aren't. And I, like we've spoken with parents, I've had conferences with them, we've worked on other things, and they're just really 
not. And so the one kid we're wondering, is there something about like writing things down? And another one, there's a lot of social emotional issues that are going into it. And so trying to manage what, how much I'm pulling these students, like continuing to try to pull the students into what the majority of the class is doing and the amount of energy that that's taking, which is not really meeting with success. How much am I differentiating a completely separate activity that they're able to access Mm -hmm. and then figuring out how much I can like assess what they're doing because it's separate from what everyone else is doing. And often it can be in a separate space. How much am I creating a divide in the whole class because I'm allowing these students to be in a separate space and saying it's okay for them to be separate instead of continually trying to draw them in and looking at the amount of, of like personal energy in any one class that's spent on like pushing students learning forward or creating some sort of class cohesion versus like doing damage control with particular individuals, which doesn't seem to be helping them all that much either. It's just trying to set up this, um, a space where as many people as possible can be achieving at wherever their level is, acknowledging their level is different and their social emotional needs are different, but feeling as though that it's not happening in a way in which the majority of people are are moving forward at a good pace, I guess. So it's, it's and in any given, like there's a couple things that I've worked with that have worked well, like having a student sort of run the minds on so that they are the person that is doing the writing down of, of information for the no's and wonders, or they are the one that's like running the, the computer program to get us thinking about uh, functions and trying to figure out, is that something that's sustainable? How often can I incorporate this into our regular lesson to try to pull the sort of target students right. um, in? And what message is that sending to all the other students who are like able and willing to sit relatively quietly? And how much of a conversation do we have about that as a whole class how much of it is other people's business or or not yeah yeah you you bring up uh you know you bring up some really really uh interesting challenges here which i i I promise there's many others out there who are probably you know nodding and going oh yes you know i you know picturing certain students in their classroom i'm sure in that last period so you've got a lot of you know you've got a lot of factors here uh you've got the (laughs) end of the day which let's be honest right these poor i don't know if you've ever gone to a conference but by the end of a conference day you know i'm there and i'm just like i'm spent and my brain is hurting and and oftentimes it's because of all the great learning i've done Mm -hmm. um but but by that last session it could be really difficult uh no matter who's up there saying you know whatever they want to say in order to sort of get my my mind focused so you know with that in mind you know, you had already mentioned the, the idea of the, uh, a brain break to sort of start things off. It, it probably doesn't help that if they're doing a lot of sort of independent work in the previous class, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're coming to you and now they're, you know, sort of sitting there for this last little stretch of the day. I, I love how it sounds like you're doing a lot of uh, a lot of minds on with things like notice and wonder. And although, you know, this may or may not be happening, um, I'm wondering if throughout that notice and wonder, if if there's maybe something you can try is giving like almost using your own timer or maybe even having a timer for them where when they have an opportunity to do the notice and wonder, we tend to have them do a rapid write independently, mm-hmm. but it, maybe that wouldn't work in this particular case. Maybe you go straight to like turn to your neighbors, like just tell them anything and everything, like try to get yeah. all of that conversation going so that, you know, those, those rambunctious students are sort of like not, you know, not 
getting a platform for their own, you know, their own messaging and, and feeling like, you know, they, they're dominating in the classroom, trying to get like a good buzz going, but then mm-hmm. also having a good routine to bring them back. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, going through those norms and saying, okay, so like, I get it, you know, telling them everything you just told us that's working against the entire room uh, and, and kind of l- like acknowledging that, hey, this is, this is totally fine. Like you're a human being. Like, I, you know, I want to work with you on this, but we've got to work together. And I'm wondering if like something that John and I tend to use when we're doing workshops with 100 teachers in a room is we do the one, two, three clap. And that, that is super helpful. It's like just that action of that one sound, it like brings everybody back and it might not the first time, like, you know, based on what, what we're hearing from, from the group that, uh, that you're working with and the dynamics of that time of day. Um, but to have this and to be able to kind of have this structure there where kids could talk loud and like get all their thoughts out and then bringing it back with the one, two, three clap, letting a couple kids share and then maybe even letting them go back at it. Right. So if like, you know, letting three kids share, you jot them down and you're trying to kind of bridge this conversation. You're walking around the room, getting into that conversation with the students so that it, it feels like. Uh, like a whole group discussion, mm-hmm. despite the fact they're working with their elbow partners. Right. Does, does that, is that painting a, a picture that seems reasonable or, uh, or, or maybe you have some thoughts on that um, based on the current structure and how you lead a notice and wonder? What are you thinking? I, th- I definitely think that that seems reasonable and worth a try. And so I want to, especially because some of the, the difficulty is with written output with a few students that doing, instead of thinking like, hi, you just came from language in which you were doing lots of reading and writing. And now you're kind of spent with that. And here you are, if your partner is the, like, you're doing a lot of the talking with your partner and your partner is doing a lot of the writing, then that'll probably lower their sort of discomfort threshold and keep their ability to stay engaged in what we're talking about and in the math and working on how to like doing um, the one, two, three clap of like figuring out what is the thing that will work with them or like giving them a little ownership of like, what is the thing that's going to bring us all back together so that you're acknowledging this is, this is the thing you're hearing it. Then we can come back and because that like that that gets to be a, a little point of struggle of being like I'm not really going to listen to you because you're the one that decided how to do this. Uh, but if we do this right. together, then we have this one That's little good. moment, and now we could like you had your time, we've had our like together time, and now right. let's have a mini discussion. Yeah, um, oh, that's a good that's a good adjustment of that. You know, I think you've been doing a lot of uh, of learning the last few months, and. Uh, <laughs> We're, we're wondering, is there, is there some specifics? Like what specifically uh, have you incorporated in your classroom to address some of these struggles that we've had, you know, referencing some of that learning from the last few months? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. 
a lot the the idea of sparking curiosity has really been like a, a big shift for me and i've i've started spiraling more of my minds on and I, like the other day one of the kids was like this is like we're we're sort of like switching around topics quite a lot like today we're looking at some some perimeter and area which <laughs> actually did tie into the other the activity that we were going to continue to work on in patterning we just we're just like jumping around from topic to topic and I was like, oh, so, okay. Like, do you, how do you feel about that? They're like, I like it. It's interesting. They're like, we're not getting bored on any one thing. And then I asked a couple other kids, they're like, why do you think we might be just like switching around from topic to topic? And they're like, because it's all connected and so that we don't get bored. And, <laughs> awesome. and somebody pulled out something else. I was like, uh, yeah, that's great. So what you all said, um, out of your brains, not out of me telling you that. I've also started seeing mathematical opportunities in, the, in things in a way that I hadn't before. So I think sort of giving a, a little bit more creativity. So like looking at all the three-part math tasks and has helped me to like open up um, the way I look at what the tasks are that we pull in. And so as opposed to going to a lot of resources and just sort of like taking those um, plans or those act activities and putting them in the class, of seeing, understanding a little more of the student interest and pulling it in that way. So like we had this amazing um, series of lessons about the potato chip box, which I think was a Dan Meyer three act math task. I don't remember, or maybe it was Robert Kaplinsky. Yeah, I think it might've been Robert. Yeah, uh, John, what do okay. you think Robert? Yeah, I think that sounds uh, more Robert, I think. Okay, in which what? we brought in this Frito-Lay's box and I sort of anticipated it being a one to two lesson that had to do with um, looking at application of fractions, but it turned to this like incredibly rich activity in which they were like applying, like making estimates on graphs that we made using Google Forms to try to predict how many students in each of the classes had chosen a certain type of chips and then like trying to use that to create the ideal boxes for each of the three different classes and then comparing those three different classes. Like, and there was discussion and whole class engagement in some of those activities that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And I think a fair amount of that was because there was this anticipation of, okay, so here's our pie chart or, and here's this section and we know some information about it, but we don't know all the information about it and we're going to make predictions. And then when you put your, your mouse over the cursor, it's going to show us the actual number and we're either going to be right or we're going to be wrong. And, <laughs> um, and like, I can say that every single child in that class was fully engaged in, in like doing that prediction activity because also it was the data was generated from them and their classmates right. and there were some things that were really surprising about it such as like one class loved ketchup chips and the other class would wanted nothing to do with it right um that would be my class <laughs> no i like the ketchup chips yeah. <laughs> um and so part i think some of the learning that has been pulled in has been how to find some more of those those moments and then mm -hmm. Um, embed some different tools and strategies as they are coming out with the students. There's another really amazing moment in which I believe we were using the Talia shirt, or it may not have actually been that one. I think maybe it was with waffles. But there was a student who was trying, who was um, making a sort of a bar model on with her partner. And she was doing it in such a way that I was like, oh, this is not going to work out for this kid. Like, there's a really easier way to do this. And like, the teacher from 
three months ago would have been like, why don't you use this number yeah. or this multiple? Stop <laughs> doing that, silly. This is right. ridiculous. Yeah. This is way easier. But I like stopped myself and was like, oh, that, why did you choose to do it this way? And she explained why she chose to do it that way. And it's like, okay, so I'll come back around and see how that's going. Then I went around, sort of like monitor other and came back. And I know she like erased all the, the multiples she'd been counting by. And it's like, oh, so you changed that. And she's like, yeah, I realized it would have been much, it'd make more sense to count by this number. It's a much friendlier number. It's like, okay. So okay. like that was such a clear moment of just, withholding my own opinion or my own direction allowed her to find it right and sort right. of the the light in her eyes would be like yeah this makes so much more right. sense wouldn't have happened if i just directed her at them right you know what and you you just said it like I, in my mind i'm picturing like what what would that be a memorable moment for the student if you did the three months ago or the you know one year ago or the whatever the old self of yeah. like, no, 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 let's, let's do it this way. Would that actually be something that would be helpful for a student beyond that one second and that one moment? Or, you know, her coming to the realization herself by working through it and, you know, running into that roadblock and having to really actually reflect about it instead of just sort of being told. And, and you know, I, I did that nonstop for years. Yeah. Like I was running around the class going desk to desk, like basically teaching kids how to do it my way. And it, it wasn't working. Like I was, I was, you know, um, just going crazy. Now also I think there's something else we need to consider too, is that it's not a, it's always a, it depends scenario. Cause if she's sitting there ready to cry because she has no idea, you know, then obviously, you know, we're stepping in, but, um, you know, so that, that's what makes our job so difficult is that like everything's that it depends. And what I'm hearing based on, you know, what you've just shared, which I thought was super helpful. Um, we were thinking about like the beginning of this class, especially fourth period, but then you came to this, uh, I feel like a, a bit of an epiphany about this idea of curiosity and, you know, if, if we're more intentional and I say we, because I know myself, I still catch myself where sometimes I'm just like, you know, that, that math geek in me is like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to start the class like this and everything's going to be great because like math is so cool. And meanwhile, like there was no curiosity there at all. Like, I'm wondering if like the balance between like, if I can find that, that hook, that curiosity, that, that spark for everyone at the beginning of that fourth period class. And I've worked on my structures to make sure they have the opportunity to kind of get some of that energy going and help to like, instead of like shutting down the energy, similar to like not shutting down a student's strategy, like you just um, mentioned, instead of mm -hmm. shutting down the energy is like helping them divert that energy into the goal, which is like solving this, this problem. Because now, like now I'm just curious, like I can't, I can't help but think about it. And that's like yeah. the power of curiosity, we believe anyway. I, I agree. And to some degree, also, I'm, we uh, had a staff meeting, which you're talking about the learning loop and uh, like learning explicit learning goals and success criteria and descriptive feedback and using that to, to fuel our learning. And um, your ideas on curiosity and not necessarily being like, today our learning goal is I will use linear relationships and then to graph this certain pattern in real life examples. Um, and telling students that up front at the start of the lesson, in essence, can many times squash the curiosity because mm -hmm. you're like, that's the strategy that we're trying to direct you to use. Right. And figuring out in my brain a little bit of, well, either how to rationalize this with my um, principal when he comes in and says, where's your stated learning goal? Being like, 
here is the learning goal. The children right. are discovering this as they go. And right. so right now the learning, like, and I have our, our um, mathematical processes from Ontario. Like I have all of those learning goals stated on the wall. So I'm like, at any point, I'm always directing them to be like, all right. So at this point you are thinking about how you are thinking or plan because this one isn't working. So now you're going to go back to try a different strategy or find a more effective tool. Um, and sort of directing the big things that are happening it framed in terms of those mathematical processes with the specific learning goals being evident more so by the end of the period or by the end of that that like chunk of lesson because in, it's funny at the very beginning you sort of ask what do you want our students to like what do you want your students to remember and at that point we've been working on a fractions unit and so I was like I want my students to know how to convert between an improper fraction and a, and a mixed number or what have you. And I was looking at everyone else as being like, just solve problems authentically. And I was like, oh yeah, Actually, that sounds like that. It makes way more sense. <laughs> like in reality, how often are they going to be using this? So it's trying to get them to solve problems. Um, and I think that also opened my mind a little bit more to be like, right. So these, all of these specific expectations are helping to give them the tools to be able to solve bigger and more like authentic problems, not, and that is sort of where I want a lot of our focus to be instead of um, like these very, the minutia that makes up the pages of current document. I suppose. Cool. So I'm, I'm wondering like, as you, uh, as you kind of think ahead, what would be, I guess the number one, part of your math program and that's like this is big right because this is like your whole math teaching um what what is it that you're sort of like what's on your mind right now that you're looking to uh, i guess kind of work on refining or you know maybe improving or you know just sort of developing so what is what's that what's that sort of itch that you're looking to scratch over the next little while that you want to continue diving deeper on assessment and evaluation <laughs> like especially because that is the, like I'm bought in all of the like the student experience in terms of like the sparking curiosity and driving their um driving their understanding and I can work that really well because I'm working that with my students all the time mm -hmm. and so my struggle then becomes more of like I can speak to where they are and I can tell you pretty accurately where all my students are based on observations and based on seeing where their work is. And I struggle with the physical check of like, here is this piece of work that you've turned in here. I'm applying like, here is the level that you would of one to four. Or, and I'm going to be giving you I'm giving that physical feedback and give it back to you. And also giving them that physical level um, based on the grade seven or the grade six standard. Because for some kids, that's fine. Kids are constantly asking for what their mark is. And I'm hesitant to give it to them as long as they're like, so what was my mark on this? And I was like, well, you really understood it very well. And, it's like, and my mark is... Like that is the point at which your learning stops. And I don't want to give you that mark because right. then you're like, and I'm finished. <laughs> um, and other kids, I'm like, you're just, you're very yet. You're not quite there yet. Like you're mm -hmm. at a concrete stage. You are not able to yet move along to the point in which you're expected to in grade seven. But I don't want to like this one is also going to be wildly discouraging. And so yeah. 
giving it, but at some point you're going to get it because you're going to get your report card that has a number on it. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to, to figure out that balance between being disingenuous and not providing some of that, that information along the way, but doing it in a way that's not discouraging of, of either um, persistence or of continued learning for students on either end of the spectrum. Um, yeah, that's a, uh, that, you know, the assessment and evaluation is, is a, definitely a challenge um, for, for everyone. And uh, I, I really, I love how you're reflecting on, on the effect of, you know, feedback and then feedback with a mark because, you mm-hmm. know, a lot, of the, a lot of the research is suggesting that, you know, if you put them together, the feedback's not really all that helpful. But something I heard you say earlier, which I think is a great place for you to kind of like play in the land of assessment would be this idea, the aha that some of your students had, which was like, wow, we're really like mixing in these ideas. And it sounds like uh, whether intentionally or not, and I know uh, through the online workshop, you you have had access to um, our our sixth module around igniting your next move. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in there, we talk about assessment as well as uh, as well as spiraling and and why we put those together is because they really help each other out in even though like eventually a student is going to get this like midterm or this you know in elementary get that term one report card and it's going to have to have a number because that's what we are told we have to do um, but if I'm a student and if I know in my classroom that you know my teacher intentionally is mixing things up as we go not only to you know help keep me engaged, but also because you want to see and you want to provide them with multiple opportunities to engage in an idea, and then also in doing so that my level of understanding will improve over time, which means that my actual evaluatory you know that number that actually gets stuck on my report card will change. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that it, it takes a long time for students to gain that you know, realization, even when you say it explicitly, it's like, they're just so used to like a number getting smacked, you know, labeled right on their forehead. And, you know, as through time, if they see that the work they're putting in and in the opportunities you're giving them is actually going to help translate into understanding, which also translates into that, that actual mark, that grade that I put actually changing because it reflects what I know today and not what I knew three months ago when we did, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, Then, you know, that culture, you can see students kind of like actually believing that growth mindset message instead of just sort of it being something that's written all over the school walls, right? You know, you're not there yet, but then oftentimes we're like, but the test said this two months ago, so too bad, you know? So it it, it really helps to promote that message. And I, I feel like you're in a great position to kind of play in that space. So I love that that's um, sort of what you're thinking of, uh, of kind of, you know, um, working towards in your, in your own professional journey. It is indeed. And I like, I, John, I think it was, it's, you know, like you're the organizer that had the different learning goals and sort of like the, the bar in which you color in like one, two, three to four, depending on where students are now and that they can right. sort of, instead, I think I was reading one of your posts that was talking about having for a while that students would write down the number and then you switched it over to having them color the bars because it just like sort of trumps over. Like once you get the two no longer matters because you've moved yourself up to the three. 
Right. Um, and is that is that sort of the model yeah. that you use right now for helping uh, to record your students? Uh, that's a good, that's a good question. I I'm I'm right now using something a tool called FreshGrade. It's built on a, a an assessment routine that Kyle and I have been working on for the last few years, and and it's a, it's it's ba- it's kind of an extension of that, and in, in the sense that uh, what Kyle talked about and in saying like that culture of establishing that because I give you a mark now doesn't mean that it that mark is staying there. And and for me, for a long time, it was it meant that like I wouldn't change those marks in my mark book, uh, but uh, now it's it's everything's always in flux. Like it's a snap; those marks are a snapshot of where we are now, and. I, I still only like what you, you what you say is that when you soon as you give a mark to a kid on a, on something that that learning stops and I still agree with that and but I definitely make it uh, a priority to discuss on day one and every week about if you, we get a mark then it means this it doesn't mean this mm-hmm. so it means that we're in in flux we're in constant uh, growth and that is a priority for us from the get-go all the way through. It's like a main focus of what we do in the room. It's all about serving, getting better and where we are now, like not staying where we are and just getting better. So what I'm doing now is I use a tool called FreshGrade to kind of manage all that. And kids have portfolios in FreshGrade and, and in those portfolios are those learning goals. Um, and they can contribute um, evidence to show uh, how they progressed on those learning goals. And so they'll take a picture of some work on our um, assessment kind of portfolio day uh, to, to show off uh, how they did on, say, like um, solving problems with the Pythagorean theorem mm-hmm. or uh, solving, you know, linear equations. They will, they will uh, say, Mr. Or, look, and they take I've, I've solved this question, solved these problems, I've, I've shown that work, or, or they can also contribute to that well, as we do activities throughout the day every week. You know, we do a lot of work on whiteboards, and it's been also been a great way to take a picture of the work that would normally get erased, mm-hmm. never have a copy of it, and they, just, they put it um, in their learning goal according to what they did. And, and I really like the fact that they have to decide yeah. where this goes in our portfolio because it's all kind of foldered off. And those folders just contain... It's a visual folder. Uh, it just contains pictures of work and comments about how they've done on that work. So uh, I really like that they get to choose that where that learning goal fits and it makes makes them think about the learning goals that we're working on all year and, and that growth. So it's kind of like what I was doing in the past by having them fill in bubbles up to a certain, certain level and then me also contributing to those. So it's the same kind of thing. A, a fresh grade allows you to... Um, give them whatever, uh, show whatever kind of bubbles you'd like or colors, whatever you like. Uh, in my grade nine class, I have colors. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, so they're not equating the color with a grade. Uh, like you could put one star through four stars, but soon they realize that four stars means level four. And, right. and so I, I want them to, to think more about like where they progress from, from, uh, you know, uh, meeting or approaching expectations to exceeding expectations. So yeah, I, I, it's definitely a work in progress for me. And it's always something that, that we're, we're kind of always building towards. But uh, like you said, I, I think, you know, withholding that grade as, as long as you can um, is, is better for them in the long run. But you, you know, when you give it to them, as long as they understand that, uh, the main focus of what we do all year is growth and then it doesn't matter anymore when they get a mark. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for um, sure. A logistical question about using fresh grade. Does every 
so does every student have access to a device to sort of take pictures to be able to upload there? So how does that technologically get managed in your class? Sure, sure. So uh, right now our, our grades 9 and 10 are one-to-one okay. in, uh, in our board. And so they have a device. Now, does that mean in my grade 9 and 10 applied class that they bring their device every day? Because uh, they take them home and know okay. they're dead when they come in. So no, I have a bank of 10. Uh, that I always have in my room. And, but you know, what happens most of the time now, those grade 10 students have their own phones. So right. it works on any device, uh, whether it's a phone or whether it's an iPad or, or and yeah, I, we use the camera taking devices. Like I don't bring in the Chromebooks to do this because I want them to take pictures of their work and it's hard to like take your laptop and turn it upside down right. and take a picture of your desk. Totally possible. Uh, or, the, or the whiteboard or it's, it's possible yeah, for sure, but it's, it's tough. So yeah, a, a lot of that uh, capturing is done with their own devices or with the shared devices I have in the room that they can just access the portfolio quickly. And John, I just want to add into like another strategy that you might consider is, you know, maybe picking like a day of the week where you can, um, you know, sign out if you, let's say there is a, a cart of devices in your school and you know you sort of you know it might not be the same day every week like maybe it's on the schedule like kids know like all right you know monday morning it's like okay we managed to get the cart uh on thursday this week um so the devices will be in the room so like throughout the week i want you thinking and planning for when those devices are here, which pieces of your work do you want to submit to me as evidence of your learning, of new learning, of current learning? Like where, you know, any, anything that we're just starting new is sort of this idea like getting kids thinking like more like diagnostic. Here's my starting point. This is what I came with. And you had referenced earlier, I even drew a big line with arrows showing this kids are at so many different places that that first time that we're tackling an idea we want that to be like, this is where you're at today, but we don't want that to be where you are next week. And we right. definitely don't want that to be where you are at the end of June when, uh, when we finish up the school year. Um, so getting them in this habit of, you know, as we're doing the work, John had mentioned, everything matters. Um, and, and not because of the grade. That, that's the mentality we have to get kids away from is the grade is to help you, or it, at least it was initially, um, you know, used to kind of help you gauge where you are comparatively to where you were. Um, but we've sort of created this um, educational, you know, society of students that are, you know, competitive and, you know, comparing to different students. And that's not really what it's useful for. It should be useful for me being like, hey, here's where I was at the beginning, which is either, you know, where I had hoped I would be at the beginning, or maybe it's not. But mm -hmm. I want to help make that move up over time. And that, you know, just that process of students sort of, you know, maybe they have folders that, you know, throughout the week, they can like, oh, this is something I want to make sure that I put into my fresh grade and I can fire that in this folder. And for a teacher who's at home listening, going, you know what, like, I'm not techie, I don't even want it, you know, maybe it's just now they hand in the folder. And it's like, they've got to be selective, right? You don't want everything. Like, I don't yeah. want to be the one sorting through everything. I want you to decide, you know, what's the work that you want me to look at this week? Maybe I set limits on that. You know, you don't want 20 pieces of work coming in from every student. Um, so what are the, you know, is it two things every week or, you know, one thing every week that I, that you want to submit to me because it's going to actually help me better understand what you know. And that will force them to go back and look at where am I at and where do I want to like this one thing that I'm going to submit to miss 
what, what, where is it that I want to improve the most? Do I want it to be this thing that I'm really, I'm already doing really well with? Do I want to like do improve that? Or is it this one over here that I, I was really struggling with? And I want that to change because I know that I know more than what that number or that piece of feedback is telling me. So there's so many different ways like, and, and we can be really flexible, whether it's with tech or without tech. Um, but finding something that will help build that culture of improvement and that growth mindset, that productive disposition that, you know, these grades are not here to label, but more or less help push the learning forward. Mm-hmm. How much physical feedback in terms of descriptive feedback that is written for students to have do you use in your class? I realize that it's going to be highly variable depending on the day, the moment, the time, and a lot of other things. Sure. I find one of the best constraints I'm working against, I think everyone is to some degree, is time. Mm-hmm. In that like when I'm there with my students, I am working with them like constantly pretty much the whole. And so a lot of that that feedback is um, is verbal. And sometimes we'll like, I'll have them write or I'll write a sticky and we'll give it to them that way. Um, but for some students and myself included, then that sort of goes into the ether and they may apply it, but might not fully be able to recall it the next time they're working on a a similar type thing. Um, how, so how do you manage the actual providing of descriptive feedback within like the, the frame of your week and the amount of time that you have uh, in the class and out of the class to, to do that with them on their work. Yeah. Like, let's, uh, I, I regularly have one day scheduled the week to, uh, we, we call portfolio days, which are days for them to, to add to their those portfolios. And so during those days, that's when a lot of verbal feedback is happening. Um, and also during those days, uh, I give them, uh, an assessment, uh, on the week's work. And uh, it could be past, you know, two weeks, last two weeks work or weeks work. And, and that, and for me, that, that uh, takes the form of a very kind of traditional looking quiz. Mm-hmm. The difference, the difference is that when you get that quiz back, it is only written feedback on it. And, and so those questions look very textbooky like type questions or questions that we've done for practice in the past, uh, or even uh, EQAO like questions for our grade nine kids. And, and when they get that back, my, uh, my comments are just written comments on how, how to improve. Like what is the next step for you if you, uh, if you didn't get this question perfectly correct or um, definitely like a, a short comment for me. Uh, you're right. Like there's time. We have to just manage that time because uh, if I choose to do that, I am choosing to do, you know, not do something else. So uh, I write a, a short little comment on what a next step might be. Yeah. And I do not put a number on there as I say like, Hey, this, you've got a level three. I, I don't do that. I, I on that question, I, I give them the next step. And I think what is super important is the follow up to that is, is what do you do? Like, what does your classroom look like after you give that back? Uh, because there was years where I handed quizzes back or tests back and then that was it. And, and it was like, they went back in the binder, whether there was a mark on it or not. And the kids or garbage. About it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or garbage. Like the recycle bin, right? How many quizzes have you found in there? It's in my class. Uh, this is going to sound funny. Like I don't say this to the kids. I say this to the teachers in our, our district or our district and our, and our school is we've, we've adopted a, a you know, a policy that we uh, we're trying to address the crap gap, you know, like I, if it comes in not so great, we hand it back with the feedback saying, let's fix it. Like we're not accepting stuff that's, it's, uh, 
like that's it. We, we are always striving for the next thing, like improve it now. So on those days, they get those that feedback and they, their job is to improve it and then hand it back in. And that's an ongoing process for them. So the timing for me is, you know, I'll, after they write that quiz, I'm going to spend, you know, a uh, half an hour to an hour of, uh, or a half, probably more like a half an hour of my prep period uh, writing those feedback comments. Uh, and I only ask about four questions on these quizzes. So it's manageable and it's in this week to week. I get a good sense of where they are written. And and you know, you know, going into those quizzes too, because you've had so many interactions with your students, how they would do on those. Uh, so it's, it's quite quick to write that feedback. Um, but I think the important part is like, what, what do you do next after after they, you give them that feedback. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to also mention too, you know, and, and John, um, writing feedback, obviously you're not, you want to make sure there is written feedback, um, but something to also think about, John mentioned about, you know, when I do this, what am I saying no to? When I say yes to doing this, I'm saying no to something else. And my thinking is when I'm giving feedback, um, so for example, it's, it's Tuesday night, I'm at home, you know, kids have gone to bed and now I'm sitting down and I'm like, oh man, I got this stack of stuff in front of me. And, you know, am I, which, and I say, am I, because I know this was me for the longest time where I would just start at the top and work my way through. And oftentimes I'd get to the bottom of that pile and be like, oh my gosh, we as a class are nowhere near where I was hoping we would be. So my wonder is, was it wiser for me to go through the pile just quickly first? Uh, or is it, is it before they hand it in? Am I using my time as they're, as they're doing some sort of uh, assignment, assessment, um, walking around the room to kind of get a feel for like where kids are before I even look at this stuff? And is any of the feedback that I can give, can I give it verbally? Is it worthwhile? Are we, at a, are we at a stage where I could give you useful enough feedback in the written form? Or would it be helpful for me to give it verbally now and then do something about it? So like tonight at eight o'clock when I go and, you know, instead of marking that big stack and then being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I just spent an hour or two hours or however long going through all this stuff and writing all this feedback. And we're, we're not even anywhere close to where this feedback can actually be actionable for students. Mm-hmm. Um, could I have maybe used that time to think of what I'll do tomorrow about it? And maybe I give that feedback more individually for the students who, you know, the five students who are at that place. So I, I think we overcommit on saying like, okay, I'm assessing this. So I'm going to like take this. And now I feel like committed that I have to, you know, go through each and every single one, provide all this feedback and all of these things. And, and maybe it's not even worth that while yet, uh, yeah. you know, us thinking growth mindset. And maybe I use that time to uh, what's the activity I could do tomorrow that might drive home. Like if I can clearly see like a lot of these gaps are, you know, connected where a lot of the students are at the same place or they just, the, the level of entry on this, on this concept is very, very low. Maybe it just means that, you know, this pile is going to go back and I'm going to give some individual feedback, you know, verbally, and we're going to do a different activity tomorrow. And I, I, maybe it's a more guided activity too. Like maybe, maybe there's a, a reason for me to do more guided in that particular case and or small group instruction based on the students who are struggling with similar concepts and sort of taking that time and, and like kind of reinvesting it into the learning versus the, the feedbacking, if that makes sense. 
yeah, I've definitely had that experience of, of starting to go through and then deciding to stop because like I've done, I've looked through 10 of these and I realized that seven out of 10 are struggling with this one thing. So we're going to work on that one thing. And the kids right. who don't need, like who seem to have understood it through with like a brief flip through, this is your activity while we're, we're going to be doing this other activity. Then we're going to revisit this, um, this assessment the following day or like in a couple days once once we've spent some more time on this concept that instead of being like okay no 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 not yet not yet um but do you when you're writing the descriptive feedback in terms of like for your individual um what do you write down for yourself um as a teacher to sort of use as documentation of student learning like so do you uh, would you be uh, putting down like level three level two in your mark book or um because i know when i'm giving write, written writing feedback for my language there are times where i'll just like jot notes of being like working on conclusions or um fun basic conventions of writing so that i have a sense of as i'm looking at their next piece what I wanted them to be focusing on to right. push them further. So I can say, Oh yes, they did. Or no, they didn't. That also takes a fair amount yeah. of time. Yeah, for, yes, you're right. Uh, and I feel like for me, that's where my fresh grade portfolio really comes into uh, play because basically now in these visual folders, uh, I have, I have visual evidence of their learning uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it's organized chronologically. So it's, it's almost, it's a, pro, I see a progression of where they are. So when I'm, you know, I'm planning my lesson on uh, solving proportions, uh, what have we done so far up to that point on proportions? I can cl- go right to the, that learning goal uh, in my portfolio and see where these kids are and what their learning is. Um, so kids can write down stuff on their learning, but I get to comment on that learning. I can also make notes to myself that I only see in there. So okay. um you can, it does take a lot of time if you're going to comment on that learning goal, but uh, I don't, I don't do a lot of, of that recording. I'm trying to work towards more of like, what is this kid doing so that I can be ready? Whereas I just flip to the, the visual and scan it and go, this is where this kid mm-hmm. is right now. And it's a, it's a kind of an evidence for me so that uh, I know right before we deliver that lesson where, like, how I'm going to push that student. So when it comes time to write the fun progress reports or report cards or midterm reports or what have you, do you go into those portfolios, look over the body of work that they've done and said like, and based on my criteria, this is the number that yeah. you get. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of have a blend um, because in the background of that portfolio, when I put a color on a kid's work, they, they know that there's a progression of color, but to help me with that number, uh, to blend all of these learning goals together because we have, you know, in, in my portfolio, I have uh, by the end of the course, probably 20 something learning goals, mm-hmm. uh, which turn into mostly just, the, they're just the most of the expectations. Um, uh, on the back end of that, I have kind of pegged numbers attached to those colors. So uh, fresh grade can wait though, whatever you want to wait. And it's, and then it acts more like a mark book. So okay. they don't see the marks, um, but uh, they know their progression. I know their progression. So, so yeah, when it's time for report cards to come into play, I go to my Freshgate portfolio. I look over the body of evidence and I'm like, yeah, I think. And then I look to the mark and I go, do these line up? 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if I do, then I uh, use that mark or I use uh, a mark there. And if they don't, then I'm saying like, look at this visual stuff in, in my memory and my observations and, and remembers of the converse, or remember of the conversations I had with my students that those don't line up. Then I, you know, I feel like I use my professional judgment to give them the mark that, that uh, I feel that is worth it uh, or, or, or feel that they, 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 they've earned or not. I don't want to say, I'm not saying earn. I'm just saying like, this represents their learning. This is the number. And I'm confident that that is the number I have. I know I have all of my conversations in, in my memory that I, I'm using to help with that. I also have this visual um, portfolio of their progression on that learning to say like, this is where this number comes from. So I feel pretty confident when I, when I decide on those numbers. Um, but I do have that kind of pegged number based on the, on the, on the coloring of uh, yeah. So they don't see it, but, it, but I can see it. And how do um, parents, <laughs> depending on their degree of <laughs> um, intensity yeah. and students sort of uh, respond to that? You can share. Uh, I've had nothing but glowing, you know, talks with parents about this because mm-hmm. uh, you can share with the parents by email those portfolios. So they see everything every time you add to it. Right. Um, okay. and, and, you know, I sent a letter home in advance saying, this is, this is what we're going to be doing. Uh, do you have any questions? Uh, at parent teacher night, we definitely talk about those portfolios to say like, this is how this works. This is how they can get better. Um, and when you, when you tell a parent and you, I'm sure you've experienced this too, that, you know, like your philosophy on assessment is about growth. And when you tell a parent that I'm only have your best, you know, your kid's best interest in mind here about their growth. And you say like all of these learning goals are always available for you to improve on 24 hours a day because you have access to it. They're like, oh, great. I knew that. <laughs> really? Really? Like, Johnny, you didn't bring so, that note home. So, you know, like I have, I have, uh, yeah, I uh, I have nothing but positive conversations with parents when you show them that portfolio to say like, look at you, this is your kids learning on, on these learning goals. Um, I, I'm always, we're always working to make them better and I'm giving them access to do that. Yeah. And it's really difficult for, for parents as well to, you know, I oftentimes John, John hit it with the idea that like oftentimes what ends up happening is the report card, it sort of like puts everyone against one another. It's like everyone's against the kid and everyone's against the parent and everyone's against the teacher. It's like everybody's not on the same wavelength. But when you have that conversation and a parent comes in and they sit down in front of you and they say, I disagree with this. And you're like, oh, awesome. Like, let's like, what, what do you dis- yeah, yeah. What do you disagree with? Like, maybe like the fact is I'm human and it's very possible that, especially in a a scenario with you, you had mentioned you have a grade six, seven with language and math and you have two other grade seven classes. Like you've got like possibly 90 ish students. Uh, Maybe it's a, maybe it's 120 if it's a different language and and math group. Um, You know, it's very likely that this is not perfect. Um, so if there's an area like my, my son or daughter knows how to work with Pythagorean theorem, like the geometric version and the, you know, the algebraic version. And it's like, awesome. I can't wait for your son or daughter to show me that like tomorrow, or if they're with them, like now it's like up to them. I can't wait for this to change. Like, it's not a, I put this down and now you're disagreeing with what I think. It's like, it's very likely that your son or daughter, and it's also very likely your son or daughter has improved since this was, you know, put into the the reporting system. So yeah, let's definitely work together to make sure that, you know, we 
have a full understanding of, of what, you know, your son or daughter um, is, is able to do currently and what their next steps are. So um, this, like this conversation for me has been uh, huge. I say it every single time to John, I feel like we get the most out of these conversations because we get to kind of, <laughs> you know, like throw out ideas and, and just really informally uh, discuss them and, and sort of, you know, push our thinking forward. So we're wondering, um, because this is, you know, getting to be quite a long uh, chat here. We're wondering what, uh, what is a big takeaway from this particular conversation for you? And, uh, you know, do you mind sharing that with the group? Is there anything you're taking away that you're going to be thinking about over the next little while? My big takeaway right now has, is about this idea of a, of a portfolio and how I can better incorporate that into my own classroom. Um, and we have done a lot of work with the, the Google suite. That's what our school board sort of mm-hmm. endorses and uses. And so um, at this point in the school year, I'm reluctant to say, yeah, I'm going to adopt the, the, like, look into fresh grade and do all that pieces. Right. But I know they have pretty good competency with using Google and using Google Drive and slides and um, that there's a lot of ways that I can help them to better document their learning using sort of shared folders as as their portfolios and having using that as a communication and a documentation piece. I also really like the idea of like ways to to spin the descriptive feedback um, by using that like a a weekly check-in to sort of give them a place where they can sort of show what they know at this point and for me to give them that that like quick feedback to, to continue to incorporate in our learning loop. So I think those, those actionables and what I, I can do to help better provide feedback for them and document it for them or have them document it for themselves as, as well as have that um, for me to sort of look back on. I think it's been really helpful. Awesome. Awesome. sounds like some, some good, good next steps for you for sure. I'd be definitely interested to see how you do, how you manage those portfolios with Google. Uh, We also are a Google kind of school and uh, which means like I would, we would love, I think to check back in with you uh, in a few months uh, just to see how that is going and how, how, some of the other things that you're implementing in your classroom are going. Um, uh, we could definitely follow up in another conversation just like this uh, to see how that's going. Uh, would you like to do that? I would love to. That'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what? We, we don't want to uh, take too much more of a time, just a little bit more, but we do want to say uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you uh, jumping on here with us and uh, we look forward to chatting with you in the future. Indeed. It's been a pleasure. Have a we, great uh, rest of the day and uh, we will be in touch with you soon. Well, there you have it. Thanks to Sarah Jane for joining us today. I know we got a lot out of this conversation. We're looking forward to hearing back from her in a few months to see how she's coming along, implementing those new ideas into her classroom. This was the second Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come, where we'll have a conversation with a member of the Making Math Moments That Matter community like you, who is working through a challenge, and together we'll brainstorm ideas and next steps to help overcome it. If you want to join us on the podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode where you can share a big math class struggle, you can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. As I'm sure you'd agree, there's a lot here to digest, but we did want to share this with you now so you can reflect on it and come back to us with some questions in the comments of the show notes page, on social media, or via email. We do a deep dive into these ideas during our Making Math Moments That Matter online workshop. 
So if you're interested in learning more about that, be sure to check it out at makingmathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. Again, makingmathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform by simply searching or use these quick links. For iTunes, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash iTunes. For Google Play, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash play. For Spotify, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash Spotify. And quick links will work for most other popular podcasting platforms as well. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes and tweeting us at makemathmoments on Twitter. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode seven. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode seven. You can also find Make Math Moments on all social media platforms and seek out our free private Facebook group recently named to Math Moment Makers K-12. Don't miss our next episode. If you're not interested in waiting till then, why not watch our four-part video series to help build resilient problem solvers who don't want to stop learning math when the bell rings? You can find that free four-part lesson series at makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one, makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.